Hello and welcome to the Normie Frenia podcast. This is JT. I'm joined by a very special guest, Danko. Say hello. Ahoy, hoy. Alrighty. He is the very popular, very mysterious lover of Deleuze. He is on Instagram as Dank Deleuze. You can follow him and give him some love. I'm going to give a quick shout out to our sponsor and only monetary contribution for this episode. They are Odesian Supply Co. They sponsored the last episode and they're kind enough to sponsor this one as well. Their website as normal should be posted in the description. Um, if not, uh, scream at me and, and I, will, I, will, I will be sure to put it in. As usual, use the code Chernobliat. You can use both of them because he made two codes. So Chernobyl and then Y-A-T or Chernob L-Y-A-T or Y-L-A-T, whatever he'll tell you. If you use both of those codes, you get like 17 or so percent off. He does really good Milserp, and I know there are plenty of people who listen to this that want that sort of thing. So he is your man. Uh, Odesian Supply Co. should be his Instagram handle, just like we sponsored him in the last episode. I am joined by a close baking friend. We love to bake and love to cook. And we're going to be talking about all things cooking and our most esoteric, secret, hidden mystery, pie baking, and other such delectable treats. Welcome I'm going to confess something to the podcast. you before you even welcome me. I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off to confess. That's how <laughs> guilty I feel. Okay. I, uh, I'm not much of a baker. <sighs> wow. Yeah, That's, I know. Get off. We got to yeah. get somebody else on. <laughs> but you are a cooker, though. Correct. I am. I'm a, I'm a cooker. I'm a brewer. If uh, anyone from the uh, government is listening, I'm not a distiller. Uh, of course not. But uh, yeah, so I, I do everything else. But I, I've been I've been hoping to get my hands into baking. But that's mm. actually the reason that I haven't gotten that into baking. And it's because I don't like the sticky. <laughs> I don't like the sticky on my hands. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm getting over it. Uh, the autism is wearing off a little bit over time because I'm, I'm transferring it into different, you know, modes of, of, of being. Uh, and, uh, and so I can, I can really let the tism shine uh, when I'm concerned about having too many theols inside of my brew or something like that. And mm -hmm. I can stop it from uh, taking over my life uh, with uh, being terrified of getting sticky dough on my hands. Of course. Well, we are a fed-free podcast, so feel oh, free to tell us all about your brews. Does it does it, it, it explains the mill syrup? Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, that uh, that actually works uh, pretty well. That sponsorship, uh, mm -hmm. because uh, even before I came onto this podcast, uh, I was I was actually checking out their shop uh, yeah. the other day because I uh, I saw that they were sponsoring you, and I was curious. So, yeah, I mean, I've bought a few things from them. Um, currently swaddled in a blanket that i bought from them i don't know what chechenian hospital he stole it from but it is very comfortable so i don't yeah. know i sponsor them personally even just in my own personal life so is is it uh <laughs> is, is it a kind of a, a a comforting but rough blanket it is it is there's something so wonderful about hospital blankets it, it's, <laughs> it, it's hard to describe where they're a little pilled, they've clearly been washed a few too many times, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and they they just feel a little ratty and shitty, but they feel good. They feel they feel right. 
Yeah, some know. grandma definitely made this, and then yeah. it was stolen from her when she when her house was bombed by some neighboring Slavic state. It's truly exactly. a story in every blanket. <laughs> so yeah, I, um, I I was bringing this up uh, before uh, before the podcast very briefly, uh, but um, what is the the most decadent meal you can think of? Decadent and and just an extravagant sense i i mean something that might even uh move beyond extravagant and into Ooh. uh uh sacrificial cruelty almost you know like yeah like, um yeah well there i mean shark fin soup that's one of them Ooh. that's not really that's not really decadent you know it's a little too common too many armless sharks in the bottom of the ocean um you know there's there's like calves you know take a calf straight out of the womb and, and eat it humans that's uh -huh. another cannibalism i think would be at the top of that list yeah of yeah. truly extravagant i'm sure that only a few people can afford to eat humans yeah long pig is really spiking in price recently after uh epstein got got <laughs> damn that guy I was gonna have a good uh good lady thigh tonight <laughs> <laughs> Just imagining the barbecue at that uh, that stripy blue and white temple with the painted mm -hmm. on doors. Yeah, it's pretty good. I don't know what scene for what movie, but it was. Uh, what are we having tonight? And he says rabbit. And he says, "Well, he he should have hopped faster." And then they cut to the scene of the guy running away as he's being like cut up. Oh, That's, I, uh, I have seen that. What is that from? I don't know. It has the same guy from the Matrix, Morpheus. I don't, and I forgot his name. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't Pretty know what movie people. it's from. Somebody will tell me, I'm sure. But you is, know, is I'm that just from the Hannibal series? Because he was in that. It could have been. It might have been. I don't know. Somebody yeah. will yell at me. I'm I'm sure of it. Somebody, it's somebody's favorite movie or show or something. <laughs> somebody's listening personality around it. It's like it's this, it's this, and there I can't hear them. So, but you tell me, what is the most decadent dish? I'm sure you know. Well, you know, I I, I was I was thinking about it, and mm -hmm. uh, the. This is something that, that half of your listeners, I'm sure, uh, have heard about a thousand times and they're sick of hearing about it. And half of them have never heard about it before. So mm -hmm. if you have heard about it, please uh, bear with us. But the, the Ortolan bunting, uh, it's, uh, it's this tiny songbird, this beautiful little finch-looking thing. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a vulnerable, not quite uh, endangered species. Uh, and uh, what you do is you um, you let it gorge itself, or you do the the foie gras thing uh, on grain and figs, uh, and uh, they um, uh, oftentimes part of the the gorging process includes blinding them. Apparently, that can sometimes wow. help them to uh, to to eat more. I I think it has to do with the the darkness, and it it mm -hmm. makes them feel as if it's uh, approaching winter. Right, and so they, <laughs> they gorge themselves on grain and figs after being blinded, um, mm -hmm. and then they're they're marinated and drowned at the same time in Armagnac wow. brandy, uh, and then they're they're plucked and roasted, uh, and uh, and then you eat them whole, uh, and uh, uh, the bone, the beak, the the hot fat bursts in your mouth, uh, mm. but. It, along with the organs and everything, but the the thing that fascinates me that I love so much about this dish mm -hmm. uh, is 
is not the cruelty behind it, but but people's reaction to the cruelty as they're eating it, which is which is that you're supposed to cover your head with a cloth mm -hmm. uh, as you're eating it to hide your shame from God. Wow, <laughs> that's that's like some ad adrenochromes type stuff where they it like, is. The kid I've never had like, it to be fair, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. It's like um, have you seen the recent movie, The Menu? Yeah, you did. I did. What do you think yeah, of that? It sounds like it sounds like a meal they would they would put on there, and yeah. that one snooty lady and her uh, brown nosing executive would really like that dish. I think that's I an think incredible, so. incredibly delectable, succulent meal. I think. I mean, I wouldn't eat it, but I'm <laughs> I'm sure somebody on this listening list would listen and and eat. A, a, a succulent Chinese meal. Uh, <laughs> succulent meal. <laughs> oh God, what a what wonderful is your favorite man. meal to cook? Oh, um, I mean, it's it's um, a boring standard, but uh, mm -hmm. but I never get bored of it. Uh, which is um, just a good steak with a Bordelaise sauce. That's that uh, simple and easy. Never go wrong with that. Um, you can't. And uh, yeah, and you know it it. The nice thing about uh, steak uh, is uh, is something that has in common with you know like scallops and uh, and uh, all sorts of other uh, little things, which is that it's it's actually extraordinarily easy to do, um, mm -hmm. but it still impresses the hell out of people when you do it. It does. Um, so there's it's, something it, about being able good. to know what the difference between medium and medium well and medium rare is, and people right. just find extraordinary. Yeah, and they pay yeah. you a lot of money to do it sometimes if you are a chef. For sure. How about you? It's very simple. I've gotten into it recently just because of, you know, it's simple and easy to make, but it's just two pieces of bread with some um, homemade tomato sauce and fresh picked pepperoncini peppers, little olive oil, grill both sides, eat it like a sandwich. It's oh yeah, quick, easy to make, good balance of acidity and sweet and crunchy wheat. Good. That sounds good. It sounds good. You know, it, it, it drives me crazy. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily one of those people that that judges folks for using canned sauces and things like that. But uh, mm -hmm. but the one that I can't I can't understand people using out of a jar is tomato sauce, right? Because it's so easy. Uh, and uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with getting like canned San Marzano tomatoes or something like that. I I guess that's only one step away. But it, it's cheaper that way usually. And it's it's just better, you know. You can season it, it however you want. And everything it just drives yeah. me nuts. Uh, yeah, especially because when you buy tomato sauce from the store, it has like the you can taste the aluminum and the tin from whatever can it was sitting in for like six months. Right. And tomatoes are really good at absorbing metals and chemicals. So, I mean, to like the average person, it's fine. But like, once you get used to making your own sauce for a little bit, and then you taste it, it's like it's like you're eating a penny. Right. And yeah, I mean, I you know, you get used to eating pennies long enough, it tastes fine, and it still <laughs> tastes fine. But like, <laughs> if I'm in a pinch, I'll use it. I get like the like the toothpaste roll of mm. tomato sauce, and that's easy enough, and it lasts yeah. like a few days. But yeah, I mean, it's easy to make because I buy like a big old, I don't know, like a half loaf of sourdough bread, and then I make it with that, mm. and I can make it like twice a day and not feel nasty over it versus if i eat i don't know like black beans or something i eat it once a week because it sits in my stomach all week but right 
Right. You are not much of a baker, as you've said. But what is the most sweet, delectable treat you've ever had? Ooh. Oh, Lord, I don't know. Um, I, um, you know, there's actually, there's there's a wonderful restaurant uh, out here. I'm, I'm going to partially dox myself. Uh, mm -hmm. Out in uh, Milwaukee is where I'm currently at. Uh, okay. and, uh, it's, uh, this restaurant called Ar uh, yeah, called Ardent, uh, and, uh, one of the desserts that they end up doing, uh, I think it's off their menu now, which is a little bit of a bummer, uh, but it was this, um, like, berries and cream style thing that they do with foie gras, mm. uh, and that's just mind-blowing, uh, <laughs> and really, really wonderful, but, uh, but on the other end of it, um, I uh I have to I have to give a give a shout out uh to uh to to my girlfriend who made this uh just uh, upsetting ginger and lemon tart uh for Christmas <laughs> mm. and and that just ticks all of my boxes because I I I'm not a huge dessert person but something that's really tart and really bright uh that that'll win me over every time and it had this like gingery kind of like slightly I, I i think it was it was overcooked in the sense that it was it was more cooked than it should have been but it was it was perfect because i like a little bit you know uh, that 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 kind of mix between not quite burnt uh and that kind of bright gingery tart it, that was that that was wonderful and, and but I'll, I'll eat like a lemon bar at a potluck and and come <laughs> over it so, um, yeah how about you? It, yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to make a good dessert because all it has to do is taste sweet enough. Um, right. But I'm a big fan of well-made tiramisu. Oh, yeah. There's, there's just the right right type of espresso used. I mean, if it's like, I live in an area where Publix is a common store and they have a bakery and they will sell tiramisu. And you can tell it's just like ground black coffee poured in there or whatever they use. Mm. But like good restaurant or even like homemade homemade tiramisu i think is better because you get to lay down the lady fingers and you can choose how crunchy or soft you want them to be there's some there's some so good about putting a fork into a tiramisu and then all the coffee just squishes out of it and then it tastes really kind of bitter and sweet in the first bite and then very creamy and i guess more sweet in the last bite i don't know can't go wrong yeah. and then there's also just a good pint of ice cream or I don't know cookie. You can't you can't go wrong unless you burn it or make it too sweet. But right, yes. You know, I um an, another one comes to mind, uh, which is: Have you had uh, sticky toffee pudding? I have not. Uh, you know the the British they uh, they get a lot of deserved flack for their food. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the one thing that they have is is this uh, sticky toffee pudding, which is this cake uh, uh, that's made of it's mostly sweetened from dates um and uh it's this really dense super moist cake uh that then has like a caramel sauce uh, drill, uh drizzled over it uh and generally served with ice cream and it's like very simple but the the density and moisture of the cake where it's you know it's not it's not as um dense as you know a uh, some kind of food cake or or you know some kind of other strange ancient christmasy dessert uh but uh 
but it, it, it has this intense moisture to it that's just wonderful because of all the fruit that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it, that, that stuff blows my mind. Um, and it, which is surprising to me because it's very much on the opposite end of the type of desserts that I like because I do like that bright, fruity kind of thing most of the time um, mm-hmm. versus just like caramel and date sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad the Brits get one food. You know, beans on toast or haggards and queers or whatever. I don't know what they eat, but they always have weird double names like spotted penis. That's a weird one. Spotted penis, spotted dick is a real dish in Britain. Yeah, I'm never going to eat it, but I can sure make fun of it. I don't think we have any listeners in in Britain, luckily. I think we banned ourselves from the UK. I don't (laughs) care. But (laughs) reminds of, um, I think you've probably seen the video, but it's a, old Englishman and a Frenchman, they're arguing about uh, food and Frenchman's like the Brits have the worst food in the, in the world. And the Englishman's like, well, the top 10 most popular restaurants are all in London. And he asked, well, what do they serve? They, they serve French food. That's why it's so bad. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've, I think about as uh, British as I've ever got was beans and toast, but it's not, baked beans what do they use for their baked beans they just like pull beans out of the ground in their personal little government gardens or what i think that's true i i I think that's how they do it because i know they're (laughs) less sweet so i think they're just mostly muddy yeah and they look muddy i mean when you like look at a picture of them it's like government bread and then beans that have been stewing in mud for like 20 minutes poured onto a plate and you you can smell it through your screen but i am I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of food. Some food. I'm a big fan of most food. What, but... What's what's a food that you hate? What's a food I hate? Oh, if there is one, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I I don't like raw fish. There you go. I've never really? liked it. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, there's something just a little bit too, a little bit too living about it. You know, it's like you take a bite of it. And then it sits in your mouth. You kind of feel like one little electron pass into your tongue. It's like, yeah, this thing was just cut. It, it's it's okay. It's okay with sushi is all right. I'm usually more of a vegetarian sushi person. But uh-huh. yeah, how about you? What is your least favorite dish? Um, you know, I, I I really, despite being, you know, I mean, clearly not not vegan myself, but but I'm kind of a defender of a vegetarian and, and vegan food. Mm-hmm. But uh, just despite that, uh, seitan is fucking unbearable (laughs) i i will agree if they make if it's i've had well-made seitan but it's it has to be doused in a bunch of seasonings to make it taste like usually they make it taste like fried chicken because that's all they can make it taste like right you can't make it taste like grilled chicken or something it'll always just taste like bread and you can't you can't fix it it's it's texture as far as i've been able to tell like it's it always made of rubber bands. <laughs> it it is it is sautéed rubber bands. That is correct. I mean, I've I had I've had tofu that has been because you oh. can make tofu. You can you can squish it out. You can freeze it. You can get all the moisture out, and you can prepare it well, and it'll taste very chicken like. Yeah, it'll it'll have the correct texture, especially the seitan. It's like the only time I can bear it is if I have like one of those. Um, like one of the, the corn or the morning star farms or whatever, like the fake chicken. Mm-hmm. But even then they don't use seitan. They usually use like soy 
protein texture or something. I don't know how they, it must yeah. have like a secret lab underground where they make that stuff because all the ingredients don't mesh in my mind. It's just extremely like children. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd be like natural flavors is like 40% of it. It's like, okay, what horse meat? Where are you pulling this from? <laughs> it's like, I've, yeah, I've you, seen... you didn't know that horse meat is vegan? It is. It is. Yeah. It really is. It is vegan because the horses don't suffer. You know, you just, yeah. it's like, it's like the old adage. If you horse breaks its legs, you can just kill it, which isn't true. You can, you can <laughs> fix a horse's leg if you break it. But yeah, I mean, where do you think we get glue from? I mean, obviously we get it from these very kind horses that give up their lives for us. Yeah. The, the volunteer horse core. <laughs> the horse core. Yeah, it's, it's true. They're, <laughs> They're all very Christian. They're all martyrs, and they say, you know, we have to, we have to sacrifice ourselves for the greater good. They line up one by one. They're like, okay, they like, they get like a prophecy at birth, like what they'll be. They have to grow up. They have to grow up with that burden. It's like I'm gonna grow up and be glue. I'm gonna grow up and be the bottom of some kid's sneaker. I'm gonna I'm grow up and be a big man. Guy that murders that guy in the meme video. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, very true. Oh man, that oh, I I'll never get over that video. I I saw it at the perfect time in my uh, my development as uh, as a young man, and it really it put a hole in my brain, uh, which is better than a hole in my colon, I guess. But it is better than a hole in your colon. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm sure you remember the Reddit fifty fifty challenge from back like I don't know ten years ago. It feels like, but it was um, from all of our. Uh, under rock listening viewers it was a challenge where you would click on a link or something on reddit and you would either be sent to like a cute puppy or like a sexy babe or something or you would see like a live leak video and of course i saw that at a developmental period in my life and i remember one particular image it was a cyclops horse it was, it was a horse with one eye in the center of its forehead and you can tell that horse should not have been allowed to get to that old it was like a racing horse age and this thing had one eye in the center of its forehead no sockets on the left or right not photoshopped not edited and that's the one image i can remember from that whole slew of of that challenge when it was around and i think that is probably the worst image i've ever seen there wasn't any blood or guts or gore it was just like a freak of nature like that thing needed to be turned into glue like two (laughs) years before it was even taken the picture of you know somehow i i feel even though there's there's nothing that that would tell me that this is the case uh in in fact only ever the opposite but i i feel like somehow his lack of depth perception made him better at racing (laughs) i hope so (laughs) for his sake i hope so well that's how he got to that age (laughs) probably he was a really good really good racer they didn't put him down because the Cyclops. They put him down because they uh, broke his leg. I'm just kidding. I don't know, but yeah, I hope he had like tunnel vision or something. When they have that, what do they? What do they? I know they use like rabbits and greyhound races. What do they use in horse racing? Like uh, carrots or something on no, screen? <laughs> like one carrot, like really far away. Like he's the only one that can see it, and he like goes bolting out the gate as soon as the gate drops. <laughs> it's actually just the asshole of the guy from the zoo video. <laughs> it is yep <laughs> it's very true he's he's gunning for it he's he's sprinting right for it this video is dedicated to that one horse i'm hoping there's a horse heaven and our little friend is up there staring at us with his one big bulging eye <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you know, shout out to shout out to the Cyclops It's it's difficult hearing the phrase Cyclops horse uh, <laughs> for both for obvious reasons and for other obvious reasons. Uh, right. Maybe. But um, you know, horses. Uh, I've always felt uh, the the reason that they make a lot of men uncomfortable and the reason that women love them, especially women that go on to marry cops. Um, is because <laughs> they're just like the the perfect uh, uh, parody of uh, a stereotypical man, right? I think you're like right. rippling muscles, beautiful hair, just the the Cyclops part. Uh, just they're they're what dudes want to be to the degree that it becomes a terrifying animal, and then transcends being terrifying into just being cute it's this really mortifying uh, uh, vision of of the parody of everything that someone could want but, I, think you're, <laughs> I, I like the i like the symbolism i think you're right they have they have the long fit you, you always hear horses and jokes like bar oh. jokes especially i think you're right it's like horse walks into the bar why the long face i think it's it's so the horse is like the most distant thing from a primate possible, I think, other than like an octopus. Like mm -hmm. it has very stilty, non-muscular legs with like no, I don't know, prefrontal limbs, you know, ligaments, like no fingers or anything, just a stump. It has a very long jaw, the very weird bone structure in its mouth, but it is so human that it's like our it was our only mount that we ever had we didn't try to mount right. bears or lions or anything even the <laughs> horses were like crazy dangerous you get behind it you die right but yeah i think a cyclops horse especially one with like the bone structure to have an eye socket in the front of its head which already makes it like a predator just because right. they have to have prey eyes that see from the sides of their head this this poor horse finally became a man you know, he finally became okay. top of the food chain. He became a predator. Like I think that's what he wanted. Like before he came to this earth, he get to choose his life. And he's like, I want to be a, I want to be a predator. I want to be the top of the food chain. I want to, I want to co-mingle with humans. And he becomes a cyclops horse because that's the only way he can fulfill that duty. And 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 the fact that in order to become a terrifying apex predator, uh, he. All it required was a slight transmutation of the the element of its body that makes it most empathetic looking to people. Exactly. Everything yeah. else about a horse is just terrifying. Except for the eyes. Because eyes, they make them look stupid. Yeah. You look at a horse that has an eye that's staring at you from the front. It doesn't need to turn its big old dumb head anymore. No, it just gets to stare you down with its big old teeth that's terrifying and it got to live too some human was empathetic enough to let it live to adulthood and then take a picture of it and put it on the internet oh my god did you find it oh uh, yeah i just googled it and it, i it's i don't know <laughs> if this is the one but oh my lord yeah i think <laughs> i think uh the one with the weird like double-eyed in the middle, yeah, that was pretty much it. It was, it was very similar to that, but it looked a little bit more like formed. In the in the fact that it didn't look like a 
I don't know, like an onigiri monster from Japan or something, but it looked like a fully formed huge horse, but with that weird, I don't know, double iris thing in the middle where it like formed one complete eye. It was an adult horse because you see all those ones you're looking up right now. They're all like foals, so like little babies, and they probably died. But this was a full grown horse, and I wish there was an image of it somewhere. And I know I'm not making it up because you just found the Cyclops right. horse. I just found its childhood pictures. Uh, <laughs> yeah, before it got famous, yeah. <laughs> right. Before he got all that cosmetic surgery on everything except his eye. Uh, yeah. But I, I, uh, I really, when you were saying it, um, and this is my, this is my response to to people largely. So they, don't take it personally. Uh, but, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I really felt that uh, you were, you were doing the thing that uh, everyone does with that. Uh, what's that? Uh, phobia of all the little holes. Uh, Tryptophobia, uh, I think. Tryptophobia, yeah. Whenever I hear people talk about that, I'm just like, that's just straight up malingering. Like yeah. you. That doesn't scare you. It mm. might make you slightly uncomfortable, and you're being a fucking baby about it because it's a meme. Mm. Uh, this is this is for attention. You're not really sick. Uh, Definitely. And and you know, hearing about oh the one the one at horse, I could see that being creepy. Sure, okay, mm -hmm. but but is it really the thing you've seen on the the internet that stuck with you? And uh, upon googling it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I'm sure I saw other things while doing that, like, you know, a Chinese sweatshop worker jumps sure. 10 billion stories to kill himself or something. But of all the things, that was the most humanizing was seeing <laughs> seeing a full-grown horse staring at me from the front with one eye. Yeah. Like, it, it didn't even scare me at the time. It was like one of the more tame things I saw during that time. But it's like, Wow, that is just wrong. I should not be looking yeah. at that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a convert <laughs> to, to Cyclops Horse. Uh, it, it is unsettling. It's very, it's bizarre. It's uncanny. Uh, mm -hmm. It, it should not be. We should kill it. <laughs> that thing needs to be turned into glue right now. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, even that thing should have been turned into my Big Mac or something, but. Yeah, what's the what's the best horse uh, uh, themed recipe uh, you've 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 had this week? <laughs> um, I don't know, ground horse. Yeah, we're in a taco. I think it I think it melds well with the taco seasoning. Um, you know, I want to have horse eventually. I've never had horse. I've had so many weird meats, but like I don't think it's legal in the U.S. Is it? I don't know. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, there there's a um, there's a channel channel I watch. Um. Binging with Babish is the name of the channel. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And he did an episode where he covered the all-meat burrito from regular show. And he went to this little, like, bodega meat shop up in, like, Soho or something. And he, he like, took, like, a video, and he was there, of, like, the back where they had all the meat. And there was ostrich, horse was one of them, kangaroo. Kangaroo is actually very popular in Australia, but... Um, Every single type of meat. I mean, I think the only meat you can eat is like manatee and eagle, but any other meats on the table. Interesting. Have you ever had horse? No, no, and I I will not. But <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure when I was younger and I had a Big Mac, I'm sure there's at least one Big Mac on this planet that was made with the horse. It can't oh, be yeah. that damn cheap, just by eating cows. 
You know, it can't be just cows. There's got to be human in there or a horse or something. Well, especially uh, back in, I don't know, like the, what was it, the, the early 2000s when we had the mad cow scare and everything? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was around Obama's time or right before. Yeah, I think it was, I think, yeah, it was right on the borderline, probably around 2007, 2008. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, yeah, they definitely put horse in the burgers then uh, to, to make it work. Um, yeah, it was good. <laughs> it worked. Whatever, whatever mixture they used, it worked. I mean, looking it up, you know, horse meat is widely reported to be somewhat sweet, a little gamey, and a cross between beef and venison. Hmm. Doesn't I, sound so bad, you know. I'm sure it's not that bad. It's just there, there's something cultural, I guess, about it because, like, you hear like the Asians eat dogs, and we don't think about it like that. And horses are kind of like a pseudo pet for us. Right. In so much, they're not like cows where, well, it's okay to eat cows because we've eaten cows forever. But it's like, that's a horse. That's like an animal that doesn't live in my house, but I can still ride and form a companionship with. So even though it probably tastes fine, we would think of it like eating a dog or eating a cat. Right. So I think that's probably why we don't eat horse. But could we eat horse? Yeah. I'm sure like, Mongolians probably eat horse because there's wild horses. I don't know. Isn't there wild horses in like Newfoundland or something? I'm sure in places where horses are not used like we use them. And I don't know what country that could possibly be because we've domesticated a horse all across the world. But I mean, if I was like an Inuit and I saw a horse, well, I would probably eat the horse. But regardless. Yeah. And the- in the locations where you have to shoo horses away from your garbage, as if they were <laughs> raccoons, right. you just you just shoot one down uh, on your way home from work after you know a long time at the the, the I don't know the the coal the mine on the factory. <laughs> <laughs> a long day at the glue factory, and you shoot a horse on the way home. <laughs> They'll let you take one home. You, you, you know what's you, you, um, you ate in horse meat at the glue factory. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes me think of the. Uh, are you a Kids in the Hall fan? Um, no, I have no idea. Oh man, Kids in the Hall is uh, it was this uh, Canadian sketch comedy show uh, uh, long ago, uh, and uh, they have this episode uh, where it's this. They usually, you know, just it's real standard, short, like minute long sketches, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but there's one episode with this extremely long, I want to say like 10, 15 minute long sketch about a man working in a sausage factory Mm. Uh, and he like falls in love and it's surreal and there aren't any jokes in it and it's just uncomfortable and weird uh, and somehow hilarious and uh, of course he's like uh, or or, uh, characters in the sketch are like stealing sausage from the sausage factory and stuff. It's just what it makes what me think of. It's wonderful. If uh, your listeners want to check that out, it's, it's one of my favorite uh, little videos. I think uh, sausage making is, is probably one of the most vile practices of producing meat. I think I've ever seen because oh, yeah. again, Binge with Babish is a show. I watch at work sometimes, even though I won't eat half the stuff he makes. Mm-hmm. It's I've I've seen him make um sausage before and you take lamb intestine usually and you bundle it up so it looks like a 
I don't know, like like if a condom merged with the semen inside of it. So it's kind of what it looks like. It looks like a stringy, rubbery solution. And mm-hmm. you string it along the sausage spout. And then you just take the nastiest chunk of meat you can find, place it into the grinder, and then it spurts into that little sheep condom. And then you tie it up, and then you grill it. <laughs> there, there's That's something funny. so appetizing about that about eating <laughs> animal <laughs> you take the intestines from one animal put the meat of another animal inside of that animal and then grill it and then you put mustard on it mm. i mean i i gotta say i um as repellent as that should sound uh i love it I I think I think that rules. I I find that like kind of delicious in its own weird way um, mm-hmm. because it, it lacks the cruelty of like the Ortolan bunting or something, right? Or like veal um, or, or or something of the sort. Or foie gras again, which is the one of these three things that I actually like, uh, but I feel weird about liking it a little bit. But it lacks the cruelty of these things, but it, it maintains the like savagery savagery of it right yeah uh and 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 something about uh the 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 candor involved in in eating uh in a way that uh is is uh uh i don't know just again not cruel but cruel feels like the right word <laughs> you know yeah, it cruel is like the thing you're eating uh, and yet using all the parts of it. So it's cruel and respectful. I don't know. There's just some, something very uh, animalistic and wonderful about it. Yeah, there, there there are certain things that we that we do, like cake or, in this case, sausage, that make me think who in our common human history thought these things together would be good. Like yeah. some, some shepherd or, or, I guess, butcher or farm owner or something 10,000 years ago said, well, my sheep is dead, and my pig is dead. I need to eat the pig, and sheep meat, I mean, I guess he cut up the lamb and sold it or whatever. He said, well, I have all this lamb guts, and I have all this pig that that's usually cut a pig that they don't want that they turn into sausage. They said, how can I mix these two things? And they, he had his gears spinning in his head, or they didn't have gears then, so I guess he, he had his millstones turning in his head, and he said, I know. I will put all this meat inside of that intestine, and now yeah. you know we clean out the intestine and we cure it and we make it, you know, edible. If that's the correct word, sterile. But then he just he just had you know lamb guts sitting on his the floor of his I don't know shed. <laughs> he decided this pig meat would be really good in that intestine, and he he did it. He shoved it all in there. And I guess he decided, maybe I don't want one big string of meat. I'm going to tie these knots in it. He tied the knots and he made the sausage links and he decided, well, I can't eat it like this. And then he cooked it over a fire and he, well, I have extra. I'm going to sell it. Things like that. It's just somebody in history and our common ancestry decided pig guts with, no, sheep guts with pig meat would be really good. Also, yeah, cake is something else I mentioned. It's like someone in history decided, you know, it'd be really good with this wheat egg. Yeah. And then mix it together. And it's like, wow, it's a little sticky. What if I what if I baked this? 
It's like, oh, well, it's kind of, it's, it's very chewy. It's very, what if I added sugar and, and a little milk to this? And it's like, oh, wow, my God, it's cake. And then everybody suddenly learned how to make cake. I love thinking yeah. about stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there is a, a really uh, fascinating insanity necessary in uh, ignoring, or not even ignoring, but, um, but, uh, uh, spiting, uh, categories to the degree that you're willing to mix animal parts mm -hmm. that that's that is unhinged to mix one type of animal into another and i know like there's pork and beef or pork and chicken chicken uh you know dumplings or or meatballs or things like that and and that's not as bizarre to me but yeah the like the idea of mixing one meat into another is who, whoever thought of that is ill. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, most certainly. Uh, most but... certainly are definitely... <laughs> that is ill. But it, yeah, I mean, it's not like you're eating a few different kinds of meat together. It's it's like making a mud pie as a kid. You, know, you just take everything around you, mix it with water, just slap it together. Right. Like, I think somebody very, like, just twisted decided, I'm going to shove this meat inside your intestines. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that practice must have been like human against a human. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't know, some barbarian. There's some Dahmer type guy. Yeah. In like some barbarian BC. kills a king, and the king just ate a bunch of pork, and he said, "I'm so hungry," and he just takes his guts out and fries it, eats it. He said, "Wow, it's delicious. I'm gonna call this sausage." <laughs> he just does it with all his lambs and pigs and such for the rest of history. And and you you know there's there's that that's both unhinged and kind of inherent to the uh the the real fundamental principle of of uh gastronomy not just cooking right because you can mm -hmm. you can cook just a piece of meat on some coals that's that's cooking but but when you start mixing ingredients in order to bring out you know different flavors or whatnot just the the idea that um human beings have always been kind of aware that you can uh essentially mix parodical ingredients uh and and, and what, what i mean by that is that uh you know so many of the i mean two things uh number one would be that so many of the foods that we eat are just variants of one another right mm -hmm. uh like the the mustard family right uh, with brassica, we've we've got everything from like cabbage to arugula to turnips and watercress and collard greens and radishes and rutabaga and kohlrabi and cauliflower and all this stuff is in one family. Or with mint, right? Every herb that most people use in their kitchens, at least here in the states, uh, those are all mints, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, basil and thyme and sage and uh, and, and and rosemary even or uh, oregano which doesn't taste like any of those uh, to my mind um you know those are those are all mints and and so the fact that that we we breed uh, uh plants uh in order to become slightly different from one another so we can recombine them uh is really fascinating to me but then on the other end the um the kind of knowledge as you begin to kind of feel your way through the kitchen uh that uh things that are totally unlike one another uh can be mixed in really wonderful ways because they do have commonalities like the benzene that you have inside of 
like ginger and mussels, right? Like mm -hmm. those things go phenomenally well together because they have this same volatile compound inside of them, this aromatic compound uh, that that kind of makes makes this weird overlap and becomes greater than the sum of its parts. And and so th that's kind of a weird way of, uh, you know, maybe over glorifying jamming a, a pig <laughs> gut into sheep guts. Mm -hmm. But I think that type of thinking is what led us to being able to actually make food that's that's really as, as wonderful as it is now, is that that willingness to combine things because there's this kind of tacit realization that everything in the world is just kind of a parody or a version of everything else. Mm -hmm. Very Deleuzian of you. I got yeah. to hand it to you. Tied it all <laughs> back together. <laughs> but uh, on that note, I will, I will say there is something worse than sausage. It is turducken. That is just oh, an yeah. evil, wrong dish. It's, you take a chicken. It's frightening. You debone it, still in the form of a chicken. You stuff it into a duck, which is already wrong. The meats just don't work together. It's the wrong amount of oil and grease. And, all. and it's still deboned with a deboned animal inside of it. And then you take that monstrosity and put it into a turkey, tie it up, put one little sprig of like rosemary or something on it, and then cook it. And then you cut through all three of the meats and then eat it. I, yeah. think, I think I at least appreciate the barbarism of shoving guts into guts. Because at least then it's, you know, you can tell somebody mad ate that. But turducken sounds like a housewife made it, you know? It's, <laughs> yeah, it should be served in aspic. Yes, it's a very, very sterile, hypnotic psychosis that you would have to have in your mind to think, you know what would be better than just turkey? Duck inside of this turkey. And then somebody else, like the, I don't know, book reading club is like, you know what, Heather, you know, would be better than duck inside of a turkey, chicken inside of a duck inside of a turkey. You know, somebody piped up and it's like, well, what if you put in some pork in there? It's like, no, 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 no. But <laughs> a chicken and a duck and a turkey. Okay. But, just... but, but what if you stuffed into the middle, this might mm -hmm. fix it all. <laughs> what if you stuffed into the middle an Ortolan bunting? Ooh. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know what? I think that adds to the cruelty of the, <laughs> of the punting because the whole point of that dish of that little tiny little quail bird is to serve it as a whole dish. You put all that suffering into it just for that one little dish, right. but it's multiplied tenfold to think that you're going to shove it into a monstrosity and have the taste totally destroyed by the rest of the poorly yeah. made meat. I think that's well, perfect. Like, uh... It's like people who, th thankfully, this is this is, it, or maybe maybe I'm just not not noticing it as much as I I used to, but uh, I think it's less common now. But but putting bacon on or in everything, right? Yes. Uh, that, I mean, sometimes it works, obviously, because you know bacon's good. It's it's fine. Uh, it's salty and fatty, smoky. Yes. What could go wrong? But then the people that just decided I need to put bacon on everything, it's not just that it's um, excessive, and it is, and it's not just that it's uh, it 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 doesn't really work. It's it speaks to a certain uh, approach to food, which which says uh, I didn't think about this at all, except for the signification that comes along with it. Yeah. Right. I, I think there's a certain, it, it's like a, an end of thought 
to get to the point where you need to put bacon on something where it's yep. like my gluttony has gotten to a point where everything that tastes good needs to be in my mouth at the same time. There's yeah. something very, I don't know, Dante ish about <laughs> being, I'm sure you, you would go to a circle of hell. You walk in the gates titled gluttony and there would be a 10,000 pound man eating a 20,000 pound donut with a giant slab of bacon on top of it. And he would be happy to eat that. And I yeah. think there's something, there's something very significant about the fact that it's bacon. It's a very haram meat. Very, very. You're not supposed to eat this sort of meat. Yeah. And it's so delectable and tasty, or whatever. And it's just slathered on everything. You go into a subway to go order a sandwich, and they try to push it on you. So you can order a tuna sandwich, and they'll say, "Do you, do you want bacon with that?" In fact, I used to work at Subway. And there were people who would get tuna sandwiches with bacon, which is just, there's something unholy about that combination yeah. already. But they would put bacon on anything, if, especially if they were, you know, more rotund, obviously coming in there not to eat healthy, not to, what was Subway's thing, eat fresh. They're not going in there to eat fresh. They're going in there to eat fat. And they yeah. want it. They'll, they'll order a double portion of steak which isn't really steak, it's horse or something, slathered, <laughs> slathered in bacon. And then they order like two pieces of lettuce on top of it, fry it, or not fry it, but bake it until it, it turns black. And then they 10 different sauces on there. I don't know. I think, I think the symbolism around bacon being the, the end all meat is very fitting for what it comes from and what it is. Just the Absolutely. fat off the worst animal on the farm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's, um, uh, Mary Douglas has this, uh, this great book, uh, Purity and Danger. And, uh, in it, she, uh, she kind of posits a theory for why, you know, uh, different things had taboos built around them or prohibitions in, in, you know, uh, uh, in the, the Old Testament or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and one of the things she points out is this idea that it's just a kind of a, uh, again, a, a avoiding combination of categories, uh, and so you you look at animals and you see what is the norm with animals, right? And you you see, oh, okay, if they have cloven hooves, they also chew cud, and so yeah. those are the only types of normal animals there are. And as <laughs> soon as I find one that has these that has one of these qualities and doesn't have the other, that means that we're not allowed to eat it anymore. Right. Uh, and which is why pigs and people say it's about trichinosis and stuff, but trichinosis didn't become a real common issue until centuries, if not, you know, like a millennia later right. um, and not really an issue in the desert to begin with, as far as I'm aware. Uh, but uh, but so that was never really the issue when it came to pork. It it it, it um, theoretically was more of an issue of of trying to make sense of the world. And so the the fact that uh, the the early food prohibitions were based on simply like managing categories in order to make it so that the world can make sense for you, then being flipped on its head as we entered into this kind of terrific, uh, in both senses of the word, uh, postmodern society where everything is so overindulged in meaning that it becomes evacuated of meaning right. that we decide we need to put 
the uncanny animal on all foods, including other animals. I think that uh, right. that's the obvious trajectory in, in a terrifying way. Uh, so, of course, we need to wrap the turducken in, in, in pork, is what I'm saying. It's it's very true. We need to wrap the turducken in as much bacon as we can. And I, it, I think that the, the bacon having that sort of meaning is very pertinent. Because I also, I used to work in a produce section at a supermarket. And um, recently, within like the last two years, uh, vegan meat has gotten really popular. It's always been like one little part of the department or whatever, but... Uh, I remember vegan bacon and like vegan burgers, but vegan bacon was the first thing to come around. I think that is so, it is so poignant to how overindulgent we are as a society. And instead of trying to become vegan to get away from meat, you're becoming vegan and also still wanting bacon, which is like the yeah. most nasty indulgent meat you can eat. And I've, I've not had it. I don't know. I, I should try it eventually just to taste it, but it is like, it goes bad for like two years. You can leave right. it out on the counter for like 20 years and it'll stay the same. I don't know what it's made with, but I think the most funny thing personally was that when you walk over to that section of the refrigerated uh, vegetarian option in the produce department, there would be this one little brand, the only brand of vegan bacon, and it had a sponsor for a Disney movie on it for like two years. And I thought the fact that bacon having a sponsor from a conglomerate corporation while being vegan and never selling was just, it was so perfectly <laughs> meaningless in my head. I, I remember I'd laugh almost every time I pass it because it just looks so stupid. It was like a Buzz Lightyear branded vegan bacon. Like it's, it's, like a, it's like a joke from Wally or something. It's, it's, it's an advertisement you'd see while you're slurping down a calorie shake or something <laughs> but it, something about yeah. bacon as a as a concept becoming vegan is just so a antithetical yeah i mean the, the 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 version of this that that i think is both bizarre and you know to 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 steel man it i uh i i, I get it because you're trying to to make it so that people who were once meat eaters can still comfortably, you know, pretend they're eating meat without it actually having the effect on the world around them that meat has. But, but even then the fact that there are, you know, beyond meats and things like that, that emulate bleeding yeah. is fucking nuts. Yeah. And I know it's not blood. I know it's I I I know it's not blood and a steak either. That's not that's not the red stuff that you see. But that's how people think of it, right? Right. That's that. Yeah, that gets <laughs> that blood I, my mind. It just happened to me recently because I was I was looking up some sort of like brand of vegan meat, and I was looking up just the name of it, and I looked up does blah 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 brand, and then it showed does blah 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 brand chicken bleed. I'm like, why would anybody look that up? It's like, why would you? That is just the end of it. It's like, you might as well just be eating the chicken. Just go ahead, eat it. Eat the meat. Yeah. Go ahead. It's fine. Does, does <laughs> my uh, does my battery well operated it. fleshlight smell like an asshole when I fuck it from behind? You know, like <laughs> right. It's just, I there's something. It's 
it's like a placebo effect i guess yeah where it's like i think the body by the time the fake meat gets to your gut it like registers in your mind as real meat it's like right. i don't know it's it's like those vegan people that raise their cats on like leaves and grass and such oh, it's yeah. something so like the nature of that indulgent human being apparently is to, is to eat bloody meat but they're like being castrated by having to eat this fake meat and they're like foaming yeah. at the mouth it's like it's, it's like overindulging on porn and looking up really specific porn or like overindulging on drugs and looking for specific strains it's like right can i get the most bloody impossible burger you have <laughs> right and and you know i i think uh in in a really weird way uh the person that wraps everything in bacon and the uh the obsessive vegan uh though i have probably more respect for for one of these than the other and you guys can probably guess uh, i think that in in a way they're coming from a, a similar kind of neurosis uh which is and i mean there's tons of them of course and it, food is one of the most like neurotic things that we could possibly talk about outside of sex uh but uh but I, I think both of them are engaged in this obsession with affirming that they themselves are human uh, mm -hmm. and that being human is is in some way separate from the rest of the natural world. Um, and it enters into this loop, like most neuroses do, where uh, by, by affirming that you're human the way that you do it uh, is to affirm that you're animal. Uh, and kind of what I mean by that is, you know, with, with the bacon thing, I think it's it's more or less obvious, which is that I'm a human, I'm better than the animals, and so I'm going to fucking eat them all like a monster, <laughs> right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I get that in a way. And then I also get it on the other hand where, you know, a, a vegan affirms their, their humanity by saying, well, I'm a human, I'm separate from the animal world because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm able to uh, choose for myself and, and take care of it. And so I'm going to integrate myself more deeply in the natural world by caring for it. Right. Uh, and I think they're, that they're both deeply mistaken about what our relationship to food should be. Uh, and, and that it, it, it shouldn't be this, this uh, yo-yoing that makes you crazy <laughs> and <laughs> makes you overcompensate with all of your consumption which, of course, is the way that everyone in, in this culture views that they have to interact with the world, both because that's genuinely true and because we're trained into thinking so, which is that if, if I just learn to consume in the right way, it's going to make my life and other people's lives better. And that's simply yeah. not the case. Um, but, uh, but I think that they both think that in a very similar way, and it leads to opposite results. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I, I would bounce off that neuroses point because there's a sort of um janist veganism you can get into where you become very hyper aware about the suffering of other animals and other beings in general and you kind of walk yourself down this ladder of what i can and i cannot encroach on and it, it becomes the opposite of the i'm the top of the food chain i'm going to eat all of the animals to i am apart from the food chain I can't eat anything because eventually it gets to a point where what animals suffer? That's usually the common person's line of thinking. It's like, well, I'm not going to eat a higher animal like a dolphin because, well, the dolphin is like a human. So I can eat 
a, a pig, an animal, a cow, a chicken, or whatever. And then they think, well, cows are like dogs, and they're they're really like hyper intelligent. Maybe I should just eat fish. And I've heard a lot of pescatarians say, well, pesca- you know, fish they can't feel pain. So then it gets from fish to well, fish feel pain too. I can't eat fish. Let me just go to plants. To then eventually, well, if I rip an onion out of the ground. I'm removing its roots from the ground and killing it, so I can't eat onions either. It gets to a point where it's like, well, I can only eat oranges and apples and, and, and a few leaves if they fall off the ground or they fall off a tree. And then it gets to a point where you, it's like, should I just start photosynthesizing? Yeah, you're a breatharian now. <laughs> yeah, it gets to a, a a loop of neurosis to where eventually you can't eat anything without feeling guilty. And... I think it also reflects in the overindulgent vegan where they don't want to hurt anything, but they also want all of the good tasty food that those carnivores are eating. So they eat all the nasty like vegans that get into veganism and they start eating Oreos and uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Just leaves of Oreos. Yeah, exactly. And I think Oreos being vegan is very funny because personally, I think I can eat one Oreo like a month without feeling like I want to vomit because they're so obviously synthetic in the way they yeah. taste like a non-milk cream is already kind of weird but it's cool that they're vegan and i eat them yeah but <laughs> the fact that that's like the number one turning point for most like would-be vegans is like oh my god i can still eat oreos it's just like the the whole i don't know the morality around veganism totally passes over their heads it's just that they're very lucky that they get to eat all the fake meat that tastes like fake meat and bleeds like real meat I, there's just food is such a neurotic concept for people because it's something that's like to like a spirit or like a god or something it's very unnatural because if you don't have a body there's no reason for an intestinal system or anything like that but for right. us it's something that we desperately need so we find ways to fit it into our morality in whatever way that we can you know for the for the jews and for the um for the i guess the arabs of the time and then the uh, the muslims it became a matter of what is pure to eat and what is not pure to eat. What does God allow us to eat? To the Jains, it's like, well, I can't eat anything that could live. I can't eat onions or potatoes. or, And I think that's noble and it's good. Sure. And then there's, you know, the very hardcore carnivores where it's like, well, we're just animals. And I think it becomes a line of reasoning for a lot of things. Like, well, I can screw as many people as I want because this animal is polyamorous or i can eat as many animals as i want because the lion eats whatever it wants right i think food is very it's it brings out whatever neurosis we already had because it just it 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 emphasizes our personality and you could tell a lot about a person by what they eat because if if somebody just loves a a bloody raw steak or somebody who's like on a carnivore diet and you can see in like like liver king type of diet where they eat just raw liver and like eggs and a big old mound of potatoes. Like that guy probably doesn't have a lot of empathy for other people. Right. And that neurosis explodes as I'm a primal male or whatever. He ended up taking, you know, HGH, but it, whatever. Again, going toward the neurosis of I have to be the biggest animal. Let me juice myself up, whatever. But yeah, food, it's like, I'm glad that as humans we get to eat because it gets to show who we are as people because some vegans like they can make delicious food 
And I, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of just straight up vegetable food because you can make so much with it. But then there are also vegans who they just they, they eat Oreos and, and I don't know, spicy sweet chili Doritos and, and <laughs> bleeding meat, bleeding fake meat, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you, you know, it per the uh, the neurotic end of it, I I. I kind of resent. Uh, I mean, I guess I I resent it when the, when this happens in in pretty much any arena of thought. But the the wokeification of uh, of food conversations, right? right? And and speaking about whether or not we can um, criticize people for the way that they eat, um, and and whether or not that can say anything about your your health, and whether or not it actually connects to like your your bodily functions or anything of that sort. Uh, but, uh, be, but the reason that I kind of resent that is because it's, it's the one like really carnal, insane, uh, e even on the vegan end, uh, deeply embodied action that we have, that we don't have, that, that, that we haven't entirely saturated in euphemism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, like you, any conversation about sex especially a, a, an adequate conversation about sex needs to be absolutely saturated in, in euphemism, right? Yes. Like you, you can't talk about penis and vagina. It's just not going to work. Uh, yeah. it, you, you need to speak about it in a removed way, but that's not something that's entirely necessary with food. And so it's one of the few things that we can talk about with candor and, uh, extremity uh, and, and and a real uh, intense experiential tone at the same time uh, and and uh, any anything trying to stop or uh, or alter the way that we talk about food uh, and eating just drives me fucking nuts yeah I, I think I think it's a very uniquely anglophone aspect is why we're so overindulgent is because of the way that we get to classify meat especially mm. is because of the french and english roots of our words we get to dehumanize the meat that we're eating we don't call it a cow like every other language yep. would we call it beef beef is not an animal that we can place an eye and a heart and a soul upon it is the thing you eat in a taco so by dehumanizing that animal, I get to eat as much of it as I want. And it leads to uh, a desensitization toward that animal in general after you eat enough of it. Like it is a natural thing to think, well, I don't want to kill this cow and eat it. But after mm. enough eating of a cow and calling it beef, it's fine. You don't call a pig a pig, even though they're like the third most intelligent animal or something like that. Very smart enough that you know they know they're being hurt. Um, yeah. You don't call it a pig, you call it pork. You don't call it chicken, you call it... I guess you do call it chicken. Um, well, but but, but, but I, I see what you're saying. You know, it's the mm -hmm. development from, like, uh, the c combining of of uh, Norman, French, and, uh, and you know, Saxon, German right. uh, kind, of, kind of language uh, with, like, the Battle of Hastings, where suddenly you have an upper class uh, speaking French or some version of it who refers to things as beef and pork and poultry instead of as cow and swine and chicken. Um, and so 
Yeah, it's 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 interesting how you know we we have held on to both and how that has definitely uh, produced a kind of a weird relationship to food uh, in a lot of ways, um, but that it's it's derived from uh, a a kind of linguistic artifact of class relations, right? And I that's really cool. Even going with class relations within the animals, you don't call a fish some other you know word of fish to refer to it as fish because fish are already stupid and they're just food animals and they're you know they're they're not respectable they don't have souls chickens in the same way we, that's why i stumbled on it because chickens we just eat them as chicken we don't have to rename them as anything but because pigs are so smart because cows are so intelligent even we have to rename them to make them so delicious i guess that's why we right. can eat them like we do like if we suddenly found dogs to be a commodity and we thought dogs were the most tasty meal on the planet, we started mass breeding them and we had billions of them in one country, we would start referring to it as like canid or something to eat it. We wouldn't call it a dog. We would, we'd say, oh, let me, can I get a canid burger, please? If we had cat, we'd call it a feline burger or something. And I yeah, think that's, that's that class relation within animals is why we can call a fish a fish and eat it as a fish because well, it's just a fish. It's yeah. just carp. I always yeah. just assumed, uh, though, though that makes a lot of sense to me, that um, the reason why we, we might call it uh, uh, chicken in, in English uh, rather than, uh, you know, by, by some euphemistic right. term is, is because we just, for some reason, don't eat all of the other delicious poultry uh, in the U.S. for the most part, right. whereas other cultures will eat, you know, Goose and uh, and uh, and a duck and and whatnot all over the place. Thankfully, duck is getting more popular here because it's the, like the best meat. It's it's incredible. <laughs> um, but uh, but so whereas other people might be talking more about poultry, the only kind of bird that we now eat is is chicken, and so we yeah. we don't even use the euphemistic term for it. We just call it by the one that it is. It's like if we uh, we only ate salmon, uh, then. Uh, then, then we we probably wouldn't be saying fish all the time. We'd just be saying salmon. But uh, right, right. I feel I sad just... for people that only eat salmon. By the way, yeah, it's because it's, it's good. Yeah. yeah, we've talked a lot about food, but not a lot about you. Oh my god! Tell me, tell me about your foray into your social media because you are you're quite popular. I've I was following you long before I even did this podcast, and. <laughs> I think you make very poignant posts, even though they're, they're kind of core core is is what I would they're, they're they speak to something. They're not like re relating to anything in particular. And I like it. I very much like your posts already. So tell us about your inspiration, your reasoning, your fun that you have with it or whatever. Sorry, what, what, what was the What was the term you used for it? Core core. I don't know if you've ever heard of that genre. But it's no. like, it's like, it's a feeling you can't put a finger on. So you just call it like a group of feelings. Okay. <laughs> it's good. I, it's a, it's a good way of saying that you make good content. I, I think I know what you're saying now. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, I started it off, uh, right before, uh, the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, what it what it was is that you know I, I used to spend a lot of time on like something awful and uh, other 
you know, social media. And I was never really someone that, that spent much time on Instagram. And uh, as I got more into, you know, philosophy, uh, as I was in, you know, uh, you know, when, when I was going through college and everything, because I, I started college very late. Um, but uh, as, as all this stuff became more interesting to me, uh, maybe like five years ago, I started uh, posting and talking about it a lot more inside of these kind of internet spaces, and everyone fucking hated it. <laughs> like, it was just unbearable, because I'd just be talking about, you know, you know, Deleuze's fold, you know, what is fascinating uh, kind of shit, and no one had any idea what I was talking about, and no one cared, uh, and uh, and so I just decided one day, you know what, I'm just going to... I'm going to make little meme uh, I, things and I'm going to put them off into this little Instagram page and, uh, and that's, I'll, I'll get it out of my system and uh, the, the people that I love won't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I found the right audience. Yeah. And it backfired. Yeah. And, and then it, suddenly it, it kind of blew up and, and I think blew up largely because of the pandemic, because suddenly, you know, Everyone's stuck inside, and uh, everyone has time to read. But but more importantly, uh, people got way more paranoid uh, about everything. And uh, you know, I, I I don't need to get into a whole thing about uh, about COVID because everyone's heard this stuff to death. But but the one really interesting thing that I think came from it is that you know. Uh, the pandemic didn't cause any new problems, right? It all it did was amplify immensely ones that already existed and it exposed a lot of existing problems. Mm. And so as all this stuff was happening and as people had time to read and as people were stuck in their homes <clears throat> and as they were getting more paranoid and noticing more patterns that may or may not exist, suddenly they were noticing uh, and, and really putting a little bit more thought into uh, all of the the awful things that were were happening uh, uh, in the world and just the way that the society structured, and so people, whether or not they read critical theory or anything of the sort, started developing it for themselves, uh, and so suddenly there was a very uh, uh, a very open schizo audience that that kind of existed. <laughs> so it was uh, uh, serendipitous, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of where it uh, where it started and. Uh, it uh it's it's been fun since you know I, i've uh i've gotten to develop some cool cool relationships with some very smart people and some cool relationships with some very dumb people like me and uh most importantly of all i've uh, been able to actually get some uh some good work done with a lot of these people you know i, I started this uh, uh this writing workshop uh and this like reading group and everything and so i've been able to uh uh, ultimately, as a response to trying to sequester this thing that was a huge part of my life and personality, I, I finally have found a way to accidentally turn it into my main focus in life. So that really kicks ass. I'm, I'm glad that we have someone on the podcast that's making something of themselves and isn't I'm stuck in a rut of just Instagram comedy and meme making. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always I've been a fan of it because it's like, it has a flair to it that I don't see very often. It's like, it's very, I'm not going to call you intellectual because you're obviously not trying to be that when you're doing it, but it's, you at least have to have a room temperature IQ. You don't just scroll by it. You have to like, think about it. I think like one of them, I think one of you did was um, a picture. It's not even 
smart or funny or anything. It's just, it's a picture of Sisyphus pushing up a boulder and said, one must imagine syphilis. <laughs> I guess that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life because it's so stupid. And yeah. it's like, it, I'm glad, or another one I thought was very funny was a picture of uh, a magazine fully loaded and one of the bullets has sorry written on the casing instead of the bullet itself. And it's accountability is the tag. And it's it's good. It's just good. You don't have to put a you know smart label on it. It's not intellectual memes for smart teens or anything. It's right. just it's good. It's funny. And I'm glad that you and many of the people who you follow and are followed by you that I have interacted with, um, you know, they've made a space in the last like two or three years that I haven't seen beforehand where you can get whatever feeling or whatever thoughts you have out in a format that can be read by the people and agreed upon, even though it doesn't make sense all the time. Yeah. It's just, you can put something out there that embraces something of what you think. Like a lot of the uh, accounts that I like to follow are those that use images and then like verses from um, different texts or something. Uh And they use it to exemplify the text by using the images. And it's it's a good way of like storytelling, even though you're not trying to tell a story or anything, you're just trying to get some little idea out there. And it's good yeah. that so many of those accounts have come out of nowhere to get these fringe and niche ideas that we didn't have the space for in normal everyday speak that you can't just bring into a conversation. Because it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. It's not as funny. But to be able to bring right. those ideas out into memes is good. And to see it so exemplified like dank it used to just mean like mlg quick scope uh air horn memes that were like oh this is dank this is super funny but now memes aren't like that anymore they're they're either a reflection of society as a whole or they're just nonsense yeah and it's it's i don't i don't know i mean i think everything is good every progression in society is good in some way but to see ideas and memes move in that way right yeah and you know it's it's um I really, I'm, I'm a, a, a believer in, in maybe the, the truism, uh, but uh, that, you know, uh, this, the, the complex understood becomes simple, and the simple understood becomes complex, right? And you're, right. you're always going to deal with this eternal maddening oscillation between the two, where the more you start to understand something, the more maddening it's going to be. And and the dumber you're gonna get, the smarter you get, and it's it and and vice versa, uh, and uh, it's just it's just the the nature of it, and and, and feeling as if you uh, need to or should uh, uh, kind of stand in one of these positions uh, at a time is is such a fool's errand. Like the the smartest thing you can do most of the time is just to be a fucking idiot, but but be kind of kind of open minded about it. Because that's the dumbest thing you can do is be open-minded because it, it proves that you don't know anything, <laughs> but, but it's, yeah. it's the best thing you can do. But uh, yeah, like I, I, I was uh, I was on uh, Mushrooms a, a couple weeks ago and uh, uh, the the person I was with, uh, I, I think, got a little worried because I was like laying there and I, I just said something like, man, I am dumb as shit. And they're like, oh, fuck, are you having a bad time? And they ended up asking me, are you, are you okay? You're not dumb. And I'm like, no, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> this is the, this is the best thing you can be is dumb as shit. <laughs> it's, it's very liberating it's to so know bad. how stupid you are. Yeah. Cause it's not like you're self-deprecating no. stupid. Like a lot of people think that they are. It's that I only know as much as this body knows. 
Yeah. And I get to learn as much as my soul can learn. And I think, yeah, you, you are stupid. I'm stupid. We're all stupid. And that's the beauty of it. Right. Whether or not our souls have existed forever or exist as long as our bodies exist, we get the exact same amount of information in the end. And yeah, to be able to put out how stupid we are in some form or another, to be able to express to everyone else you know, how little we know. I don't know. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a form of art. Just fail and fail better. That's it. That's right. I think that is a good place to wrap things up. Danko, I'm very happy that you were on the podcast. We have enjoyed having you here. I'm going to do one more ad roll for our friends at OTC Supply Company. They give us the big bucks, so they get the double sponsor. Um, their website is O-D-I-E-S-I-A-N supplyco.com. You can use code Chernobliat, C-H-E-R-N-O-B-L-Y-A-T. Or if you spell Chernobyl normally and then Y-A-T at the end, you get like 16, 17% off. So use that. And please go and follow my friend Danko on his Instagram account, Dank to Lose on Insta. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you all later.